have become uninvited guests in our employees' homes during this pandemic. We're being exposed to parts of their lives that we didn't know about and that they may still not want us to know about. And we, we need to respect that space and respect them as people and find ways to let them breathe. Hey there, this is Bev and I'm the host of People at Work Today. People at Work is a podcast that was created by Jossel, the builder of an employee intranet. And with our technology, we're hoping to connect people to everything that matters to them during the workday. And at the same time, we're thinking about what does work actually look like right now and into the future for people? And how do we help people have amazing experiences at work? So that's why we have something like the podcast and our other conversation series, where we really talk to people who are at the forefront of changing work and making it a better place for people to be. So I'm really delighted to welcome Megan Purdy to the show today. Megan is the marketing manager at Canadian Payroll Services and Kronos Consulting Group. She is a former recruiter and HR blogger and now works to close the gap between global business and Canadian top talent through remote workforce solutions. As marketing manager, she develops service offerings and manages the content and digital marketing strategies for CPS and CCG. So welcome, Megan. I'm delighted to have you with us here today, and I think we're going to have a really interesting hands-on conversation about shifting into remote work. Thanks, Bev. Uh, Really excited to talk to you today. Awesome. Well, our topic is going to be sort of roughly around the the do's and don'ts of of work from home. But before we get into that, um, I'd love for you just to give the the audience a a quick snapshot of your background and uh, some of the experiences you've had with remote work. Sure. I've actually been working remote off and on for most of my career. Um, I started out um, not getting at all the career that I thought I was going to have. I went to school for English and political science. I thought I was going to become an academic. Uh, that did not work out at all. Uh, and I started blogging. Um, and as you can imagine, blogging is something that is very solitary. You can do from your, your home. Um, I started out doing uh, entertainment blogging and culture blogging. And um, due to my other job, which was uh, with a major Canadian grocery reseller, um, where I became an HR assistant, I got into HR blogging. So that's sort of how I uh, started off on this path. Um, And I've worked remote on and off for years. So uh, I've I've gone through the the transition multiple times of going home and coming back into the office. And every time it's a little bit different. Yeah, I'm sure it is. And I'm really interested in your background as a blogger, because I think that gives you a really interesting perspective as someone who observes and then writes about something. I'm sure that that must have been quite interesting for you to have that sort of transition and 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 develop as your career was developing with this eye to observing and writing about it and I'm sure that's helped you as you've been working with people and helping them adapt to changing circumstances so um, how does that feel for you like do you think that that's given you an interesting perspective and and has it has it shaped how you've looked at um, the changing workforce do you think Yeah, I think that's a really interesting question, Bev. Um, I don't think that I would have had the career that I had today had I not been blogging at the same time. I don't think that I would have gotten as deeply involved in the HR world. I'm not sure that I would have gone from, you know, being an assistant to working as a recruiter um, and then, you know, working with HR tech companies and so forth. Um, I think blogging about HR made me so much more interested in all of the different facets of it, you know, like really understanding what that world was like. Um, and going beyond just like the surface level kind of compliance stuff of HR. You know, like when you think of HR, uh, a lot of people think of just paperwork and onboarding and so forth. 
Um, but it's much deeper, you know, it goes into to planning uh, how you interact with uh, your work, your, your colleagues, uh, your workspace, um, what the future of your company is going to look like, um, you know, what are the needs in terms of people? Uh, it's a much more strategic uh, discipline than I would have realized when I started out. And I think blogging um, really made me aware of that. And I think you're right, it did challenge me to think of it more in terms of like a systemic way, you know, like, um, HR and the economy and um, HR and technology and how those things interact. I don't think that I would have gone down those routes at all if I hadn't been a blogger. Yeah, I, th I think that uh, necessarily when you when you write and when you reflect on things, especially when it's around HR topics, I think it helps you connect more deeply with the subject as well, because at, at the heart of it, HR is about people. And as you were just alluding to, um, it's much more than just the transactional details. It's much more than the, you know, the, the forms and the payroll and the benefits and the administration of the people related matters. And I think we are seeing a huge shift now, um, you know, from when I started being involved in the HR space to uh, really getting HR to have a more prominent strategic seat at the table and it being recognized as a key driver of, of success for organizations. So I, I, even though I know that the road is still long there and I, I, I myself am not an HR practitioner, so I can't really speak to being on the front lines, um, but I do think things are changing and I think there's, there's room for lots of optimism around uh, the HR function and, and even so far as shifting it away from being called HR, right? Yeah, I mean, I remember when I started out, there was this common theme in HR blogging. Um, how do we get HR into the C-suite? How do we get companies to start thinking of HR as an, a key uh, internal strategic partner and not just the people who process paperwork? And I think that battle has mostly been won. You know, like you do have heads of people um, and heads of operations are usually people from an HR background. And now as uh, we've all made this, you know, rather sudden transition to remote work and back and forth, um, head of remote is increasingly important. And that is almost always uh, an HR practitioner, as it should be. Yeah, that's an interesting observation. I was going to ask you about that next, just around the role that HR has played in helping us move very swiftly, those of us who move to remote work, uh, you know, that couldn't have happened without the attention to people and that necessarily would have fallen to HR departments around the world. Um, for those companies that have HR departments at Jostle, we don't actually have an HR person per se, we actually divide the role up um, so that different VPs play different functions or, or hold different functions that contribute to the HR function. So, um, that I think has really helped uh, elevate HR's um, prominence and make them a fundamental part of the business operation if they were not before. So I don't know, are you seeing something similar to that in, in the dealings you've had in your organization and maybe others who you've spoken to? Yeah, I think so. Um, I think people take, it's interesting, they take HR more seriously, but sometimes it's HR by another name, right? Like just as you say at Jostle, you don't have an official HR department and that's not always necessary. An extremely large company probably does need a very large uh, and formal HR department with all these divided functions. Um, a, a startup, probably not. You know, a lot of those HR functions can be ably performed by different um, business leaders. 
Um, and perhaps, you know, you might engage an outsource, uh, an HR outsourcing firm for certain details that, you know, would be beyond you because uh, there are there are a lot of compliance details in HR um, that are, are not good to skimp on. Um, but for sure, there's definitely a more seriousness um, being attended, uh, seriousness in the attention that's given to HR now. And the remote transition has definitely um, played a part in that. And HR departments or people performing an HR function that paired up with IT, I think, uh, are the ones that created the most success for their companies, right? Um, in cases where IT or HR went down different paths, I think that's where you had uh, a, a more bungled transition, right? Like perhaps you got really great remote tools in place, but you had no policies for using them, you know, so there was bad uptake, that sort of thing. Yeah, and I think that the other element that I've observed is that those companies that didn't build their culture around perks and gimmicks and tangible things were the ones who could quickly pick up their culture and put it into some sort of remote experience or remote setting and feel like it was very much the same as if you were in the office with the, the people around you who you usually would work with. So I think we've seen a big shift in defining and constructing and and shaping culture over the last months. Um, what's that been like for you at uh, CPS and CCG? So um, in terms of our own culture, you know, we were not really a, a gimmick driven um, company, as, uh, as you allude to, you know, we didn't have a foosball table, um, or a beer fridge or anything like that. Um, for us, company culture was really more about, you know, building genuine connections with people and finding ways to connect, um, and being respectful of their time and their efforts at, you know, in and outside of work, right? So companies that have good policies around you know, work-life balance that um, have a benefits package that actually pays attention to what workers want and need um, and, and try to focus on developing them as people, you're right, are the ones that transition more easily. And I think uh, that was to our advantage. You know, there was no, there was no um, fancy stuff in the office that we would miss out on, right? You know, cause we didn't need any of that. We just needed a you know, good workspace at home um, good connections and we could pick up and keep going. Yeah, we were pretty much the same. Obviously, we use our own product extensively. So we had a very robust intranet in place. And that is one of our primary ways of communicating, even when we're in the office together. Uh, you know, funny things like the person sitting right next to me, I'm actually talking to them on, on our internet more than I'm talking to them in person, right? So um, we were very reliant on it and it's very much part of our culture and our co-creation process. Um, what sort of technologies or things do you have in place that helped you stay connected and continue work? Microsoft Office, uh, Microsoft Suite users, I should say. So um, Teams, uh, which has been up and, up and down. Uh, you might know that Teams has been updating like crazy through this uh, these pandemic times, just like many other communications software. Of course, yeah. Days and good days. Um, but I think overall, um, that suite of tools has really helped us um, be more productive. In fact, you know, like there's something really great about an in-person meeting. It's very energizing, but, you know, downsides of the in-person meetings are that, you know, you're not taking good notes at the time. You're not putting it straight into your project management tool. You're not making your cards in Trello or Planner or Jira as you go along, right? Like there's an in-person component and then you go back to your desk and you try to record what happened. Um, in a remote setting, you can do this both at once. So that's been huge for us. Yeah, I think that there have been some productivity gains. I wouldn't say in the very early days of the pandemic. I think we can all agree that <laughs> anyone who says they were productive in the early March is flat out lying in my opinion. <laughs> 
or kidding themselves that they were actually being productive. <laughs> a few unscheduled naps, <laughs> you know, I'm very busy right now, just laid down for like an hour. Absolutely. Yep. I think we could all say that those really helped us get through those early times. <laughs> and maybe now, maybe now still, if you have to have a nap this afternoon, it's okay, especially after what we just witnessed last night and are going to witness in the coming days with the US election. Yeah, it is really a tough time to um, stay productive and positive, that's for sure. And I, I think, I, I hope that leaders take that as a lesson too, that, you know, we don't have to keep focused on the nine to five and making sure that everybody is attentive at their desk at all times, you know. Um, I think we can embrace the, you know, the, the usefulness of asynchronous communication. Does everybody need to be in the office at the same time? Probably not. Can we uh, shift focus from you know, being at your desk to measuring your productivity in terms of project updates and, you know, really meaningful things. Yes, and we should, you know, and I think the remote work is forcing people to realize these things. A lot of what leaders were looking for in the past was like a, a, a performance of productivity rather than actual productivity. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And something that I heard early on and when the pandemic first happened was it's not just that we have been asked to work remote, it's that we've been asked to work remote in the context of a global health crisis and there are so many unknowns and I had an interview with uh, Gonzalo Silva he's the CTO over at Duist I don't know if you know Duist mm -hmm. they're, a, um, they're a company based in in Europe um, and he was telling me that they've been a, a, a fully remote async company from day one and that's been for the last 10 years and we were talking about their journey and how their culture has unfolded and, and interestingly even they felt the stresses of what happened in, you know, their local environment and people's local environments, because it wasn't business as usual for them, even though they were working remote, it, nothing was usual or normal about their circumstances. So there's lots of lessons for us to take from this around, if you are thinking of transitioning your company into a remote format or a hybrid format, um, even beyond the pandemic, if we ever get to that place, uh, there's a real attentiveness that we have to bring to people's uh, emotional stress, the, you know, the individual needs that people have, the individual circumstances that people have, because we've seen that play out across the board, right? That there are so many unique things about people's lives that now meshed in with their work lives suddenly. Um, and if we're being honest, those things were there all along. We just didn't really acknowledge it as, as leaders or workplaces because we had this lovely separation. And now we don't. So maybe share some of your experiences of how you've been thinking about the, uh, you know, the emotional stress and the some of the the mental or mental health impacts that this has had on your team. Um, well, I would say sometimes we look for remote work to solve the wrong problem. You know, it doesn't solve those problems of mental health. It's uh, it's fundamentally a problem. It fundamentally solves problems around commuting distance. Um, uh, and, you know, an outmoded form of work. It doesn't immediately solve all these other things that um, you have to solve through, you know, good management, uh, improvements in culture, and like actually being empathetic and attentive to your workforce, right? Um, and something I've heard a few times, I can't remember who said it first, but um, we have become uninvited guests in our employees' homes during this pandemic, um, you know, and we're, be we're being, exposed to parts of their lives that we didn't know about and that they may still not want us to know about, right? Um, in a lot of ways, it's very easy to invade their privacy. So uh, that's an added stress that we need to be mindful of. 
right? So I, I hear a lot of, uh, or I see a lot of articles about, you know, Zoom etiquette and dressing for meetings and, um, you know, people being asked to lock their dogs in, you know, bathrooms and stuff. And I think this kind of stuff is really kind of terrorizing. You know, it just loads the stress on more when people are already so burdened. Um, you know, they didn't invite us into their homes. We invited ourselves to continue our business. And we, we need to respect that space and respect them as people um, and find ways to let them breathe, you know. Um, for our company, one of the simplest things that we did is um, we did not mandate that every phone call would be a video call. You know, like it, we're all really suffering from Zoom fatigue and not every check-in has to, you know, have you on show. You know, sometimes it's okay to be lounging on your couch in pajamas while you give, you know, five minute stand-up. That's fine. Um, I, I think this, this drive to, you know, continue the formal workplace is just, it's too much in these times. Yeah, I like that description of being uninvited guests and it, it makes me think about this something that I've been thinking about recently is this normalized blur that has now happened where it's just now accepted practice that your life and, and work is just one thing and there's a lot of articles and a lot of research now cropping up around how do you create that separation and what are the healthy things you can do to you know I, I was reading an interesting article on LinkedIn earlier um, in the week about mimicking your commute so how do you basically interject a, a commute into your day even though it's completely simulated it's it fills the same purpose of giving you that defined start and finish to your day um, ha have you started any practices like that? Um, no, not myself. And I, I would say that I don't think we should leave this on the worker to figure out for themselves, right? Like I think as, as businesses, as leaders, we need to be able to figure out ways to create that sensation for them too, right? Like uh, leaders should definitely not be, you know, pinging their team members at 7am, you know, and they should not be requiring people to answer emails late at night. Like we need to help establish those healthy boundaries instead of just leaving it for other folks to um, figuring it out, figure it out for themselves because those unsystemic solutions don't really work in the end, right? Because you're fighting against this huge tide. Yeah, absolutely. So help me untangle something then around asynchronous work and asynchronous communication. Mm -hmm. If it's my preference as a leader to get up at five and I get my emails done early in the day, mm -hmm. um, does that signal to my team members that they need to be working those same hours or how do we reconcile that with giving people permission to not have to respond to something that I send at five in the morning? For sure. I think it automatically does signal it, right? Whatever hours your leader is working, you will respond to them and you'll try to adjust to them. Um, some of the leaders in my business are very early risers and I find myself thinking, maybe I should get up at six in the morning too. And I have to remind myself, no, they've actually given me permission not to. And um, for the people who report to me, I have to not just model, but I have to actually remind them, you know, because it's going to be the natural the natural expectation of the worker that they should be adjusting. So you have to overcome that, right? So um, model the behavior by not necessarily just, you know, responding to whatever your leader's preferences, you know, set your hours according to your needs and be vocal about it. You know, like if you need to go take that nap, 
say, you know what, guys, I really need to go and lie down for a bit. I'm going to take a mental health break, um, have a bit of a nap for 45 minutes and I'll come back. Or um, this week I'm going to be working, you know, 10 to six because this is going on in my life. I, I don't need to expose all the details, but, um, you know, be vocal and be clear, because if you're not, um, you're leaving your team to sort of just worry. And I think some of that clarity comes through in writing policies and, and guidelines for, for behavior and, and action in workplaces, right? And you were um, communicating to me ahead of our call here around how you are currently spending some time on updating your own internal policies. So what are some of the things that you are thinking of, of adding and putting in place that helps create some structure for how we show up, how we work together and giving people the freedom to be themselves and what they need for their day? For sure. So we did not, we were not really a flex time workplace. You know, we had a pretty strict nine to five uh, because that just worked for us when we were in office. Um, and you could request a different work arrangement. Of course, some people are hesitant to reach out for that. Um, so as we rewrite it, we're trying to be a little more attentive to that this time around um, to allow a different, you know, to allow you to set up that flex time um, with more ease. So instead of just, you know, leaving half an hour early, perhaps you want a really different schedule. Well, you know, we'll talk it over with the team and see if it works. For our team, it doesn't work uh, that, it, it just can't work for us that everyone works whatever hours they prefer. We, we need to have some sort of schedule in place, right? Because we do respond to clients and so forth. Um, but we're trying to rewrite the policy to be more accommodating. Um, so other businesses, you know, if you're, you've got a lot of frontline um, customer facing workers, um, can you build more flex time? In, into that scheduling? Um, can you put people on different shifts? Uh, that's definitely something that you should consider, uh, particularly now that you're remote, um, you've taken commuting out of the equation. You know, you may find that people who are on one shift may now, you know, be comfortable with moving to another. Um, another thing we're thinking about in more detail is vacation, you know? Um, now, most people are stuck with staycations. You know, do they need more time? Do we need to treat that time differently? Um, you know, that's something that we need to think through in depth because vacation is just fundamentally different when you keep going in and out of lockdowns, right? And if you don't have a personal time policy, it's maybe time to consider that. Um, another thing that, you know, is really important to consider when you go remote is equipment. So obviously um, when we were an in-office company, you know, people weren't really borrowing equipment. They didn't own anything. Now they're working from home. So we have to figure out, um, what parts of the home office do we pay for? What parts do they pay for? What's the replacement policy? Um, you know, can they buy their own and expense it? Like you really need to think about that in detail because if you don't work it out ahead of time, you're going to have a big mess on your hands. So those are the challenges that we're grappling with and also helping our clients with. Yeah, it sounds quite similar to what we're going through at, at Jocelyn. I mean, obviously our, our circumstances are, they're unique from one company to the next, but, um, you know, that's all fair and well to be thinking about these things and to be writing them down as policies. But what about actually living up to the, um, you know, the philosophy or the, the new belief system that you're introducing around being more flexible? How does that actually come to be in an organization? So I think you need to, um, first, you need to talk to the people in your organization, right? And really actually understand what they need, uh, what your managers think, and, you know, what the, the highest level of business leaders um, are willing to own up to, right? Um, and then you need to create a new philosophy that really makes sense. From there, you get, you know, your policies. 
And then you actually have to put them in place. And that's going to take some training and reminders. Um, and it's going to be like an ongoing process, right? Because you're going to have people regressing to the mean uh, pretty much immediately. Uh, and that's just part of any transition. You, you just need to keep reminding. Um, so I think the first thing you need is like total commitment from every level of leader to this new change. Yeah, and I, you know, I think any time that you have multiple people involved, it starts to get messy, right? So um, there's probably some pitfalls waiting for all of us as we, you know, learn and, and move through this. And I, you know, I think that's one of the biggest things that we've focused on going through this is just, first of all, being honest about the fact that we don't have all the answers, and that it's going to take some time for us to actually work out the kinks in this new way of working. Because we're not sure if we are returning to the office full time. We will probably keep our office, but we don't know what that looks like beyond you know next week. Um, so there's just too many unknowns, and I think being honest about not having control of those unknowns is one of the first steps that leaders can take to keep maintaining the trust that you have with your organization. Um, what other tips or, or thoughts do you have around what leaders should be thinking about right now? Like if you had to in write a blog about the most important thing that leaders should think about right now, what would it be? Oh man, the most important thing. Um, the thing that I keep coming back to is um, leaders need to remind themselves um, to back off a bit, right? You know, they need to um, not focus on appeasing their need for updates um, and, and their own insecurities, you know, instead, uh, try to look for, for real markers of productivity, real markers of, you know, well-being and health in, in their community. You know, um, don't push for updates about projects or even people's lives. Um, I, I'm noticing the same behavior a lot of times, like tracking software um, is just booming right now, right? Um, because people want to know exactly what people are, what their workers are doing every moment of the day. Is that really useful? Unless they're a customer service person responding to tickets. And, you know, on that level, do you even need to know more than the fact that they're resolving tickets? You know, you're collecting a lot of unnecessary data to appease some emotional need and you're never going to do anything with that, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And I read a lot of articles also about, you know, leaders who are having, um, you know, check-in sessions. Like, are those check-in sessions really worth worthwhile? Did you get a good update from your team or are you creating anxiety with them? Yeah, and I think many leaders are, you know, suffer from this fallacy of when people are in person in the office that they're being productive there, right? You can be just as unproductive sitting at your desk in the office right next to your manager as you can in your own home. So I think you're right. I think a lot of those uh, mechanisms and tools that have arrived and, and the need that people think they, they should have to keep track of people is, is really just to make them feel better for some reason or another, or to help them feel like they've checked a box around their team's productivity and what that means for um, you know, the productivity of the organization. Yeah, on a certain level, they have to sort of forgive themselves too, right? Like we talk a lot about being empathetic with their team. They have to be empathetic and forgiving with themselves. You know, they're trying to drive themselves to some higher level of productivity, you know, through this, you know, constant management, this micromanagement. Um, and that's not kind to themselves either, right? You're kind of driving yourself crazy when you're doing that. And you're not getting much uh, useful information out of it. Um, and you're so right about not being productive in, in the office. It's like study after study shows that, 
you are absolutely not productive for eight hours of the day. Like maybe six, maybe on a good day. Some, day, some days it's four, you know, and uh, that's just a reality of work. That's how our human brains function. Well, and, and therein lies one of the biggest reasons why work needs to change. And, you know, we've been beholden to this um, industrial age model for m- too many years beyond its usefulness, right? And um, there are many structures in society that um, doesn't serve their interests for us to work any other way. But in terms of the humans and the, the capacity that we have to create and and innovate together, um, a a significant shift out of that way of working is necessary for us to get to more innovative solutions and and better products and and healthier people at at the bottom, you know, at, at, at the very base of it is healthier people, I believe. Yeah, it's really wild how much manufacturing has really determined everything about how we conceive of work. You know, like every job is is so limited by this manufacturing mindset where Um, you know, it's like based on time studies and, you know, how many widgets can you attach to, you know, uh, other widgets in an eight hour shift? Like this really is not a good measure of most forms of work. It's not a good measure of farming. It's not a good measure of creative work. It's not a good measure of, you know, driving professions. Like it really is about manufacturing and it should never have spread across our entire, you know, workforce philosophy. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. We've already started tapping into this, but you mentioned that leaders need to be empathetic, not not only to the people that report into them um, or that they lead, but they need to be empathetic with themselves. And what that means to me is, and it's a reminder that workforces and, and organizations are made up of individual human beings. And ultimately, the success of a remote work environment is contingent on those individuals feeling comfortable and supported and healthy in their environment in order to contribute to the the whatever it is that the company is producing so perhaps we can end on a few thoughts around you know the the individuals that we're seeing in organizations and what do what do individuals need right now um, in terms of this not only the support from their leaders or from organizations, but what do they need to be thinking about? Um, You know, I I asked you the question about what's the number one thing for leaders to be thinking about, but what's the number one thing for individuals who are workers in whatever capacity? What should they be thinking about to look after themselves as we continue to work remote? Um, I think it's a good to sort of do a study of your time and what your week really looks like. You know, um, figure out when you're most productive and least productive. And, and work around that, right? If the morning is your most productive time, then that's where you should be focusing your, um, your deep attention work. If the afternoon is just a no-go where you find yourself drifting onto Twitter, you know what, maybe that is not a good time for you to try to be working. Um, so uh, if you can, you know, consider asking for a split shift, for example. Um, similarly, um, look at your environment, you know, like, have you really made the adjustments that you need to be physically and emotionally comfortable working from home? Uh, you still don't have a dedicated workspace. Is there a way that you can make that happen? Um, you know, is your physical environment suited? Like, are, are you in horrible back pain because you still haven't got a chair? Like, these are really basic things, but I think many of us have still not done them. Um, you need to sort of make yourself a checklist and, and make sure that you've actually 
you know, created a workable environment. The office has been so thoroughly designed over years and years and years to be good for you to work in for extended period of times. And your home is just not, you know, like physically and emotionally. Um, so I think it's a really good idea for everyone to do sort of a self-study. Um, and if you have that confidence to then take that to the leaders in your company, right? Um, because I think when you put all those things together, you'll find some commonalities, right? And then some, from there, leaders can make decisions about, you know, changes that they can make. Without any of that data, it's really hard for them to try to help you. Yeah, thank you. That's, that's great input. And, you know, really what I'm hearing from you most today is just whether from leaders or from ind individual employees, um, what we're really looking for here is, is openness and communicating what it is that you need and um, asking those questions around, you know, what does the organization need? What does, what do its people need? How do we bring those two pieces together? And um, just be open to the idea that this is for the long term, you know, we're, we're nowhere close to being through this current environment and current situation. So how can we remain open-minded to make sure that we're, we're looking after each other and the organization in the, in the process? So I, I wonder, do you have any closing thoughts before we wrap up just maybe about your own experience or commitments that you're making to um, weathering what is yet to come through this uh, strange time? <laughs> For our company, we've decided to stay remote. It just, you know, made the most sense for us. But I think, uh, you know, other organizations, like you said, should be ready to weather this for the long haul. Um, and that may mean updating your emergency and business continuity plans to, to go back to the office and come back home and go back and come back home. Um, and to make decisions like, are, are you emotionally capable of making that transition, you know, five times next year? Um, that's something we're thinking a lot about and building resources around. Um, another thing is a group that we're trying to put more focus into is um, linking the remote work environment to our other initiatives. So, I mean, obviously remote work um, has some sustainability benefits, but what else can we, we do on that? Like, what can we do in terms of making your home office more sustainable? Um, looking at our diversity, equity and inclusion um, initiatives, um, how does that look in your remote environment and what does remote the remote environment due to enhance those initiatives. So those are the kinds of things that are on my mind going into 2021. Yeah, I love hearing you talk about some of the regular things that we should be thinking about as organizations, regardless of the presence of our employees in person or remote, right? Like those are the things that we need to continue doing. It's it's the same as investing in training and development if you're able to do so. Um, it's continuing on with programs and initiatives that you had in place that were part of, maybe part of your in-person culture. How do you adapt those to be uh, remote first if, if that's what you need to do going forward? So, uh, you know, I, th I think that there's a lot that we can be doing as, as leaders and as, as organizations to still be providing some um, structure and, uh, you know, continuity for people, even though the world around us is changing dramatically. So thank you for your insights today. I've really loved the conversation we've had and um, just hope that you continue to weather this strange storm and uh, get some rest today. Uh, same to you. Let's both uh, have an extremely long sleep tonight. Thanks for having me, Bev. It was a great conversation. Yeah, great to meet you, Megan. Let's keep in touch. Right on. Take care. Thanks for listening to this episode of People at Work. 
It would mean a lot to us if you could head over to Apple Podcasts and leave a review. The more reviews we get, the more people discover the podcast. Also, don't forget to subscribe to ensure that you don't miss an episode. You can do this wherever you get your podcasts. Or you can reach me at bev at jostle.me or find me on LinkedIn. Until next time, take care.